A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Part-Time Genius, a production of iHeartRadio. Guess what, Will? What's that, Mango? So Gabe, our brilliant, brilliant researcher who basically powers the show, was telling me that when he moved out to L.A., he lived in this Airstream trailer behind someone's house. This was as he and his girlfriend were trying to figure out their apartment hunter or whatever. And apparently, these raccoons came by one day and stole his girlfriend's shoes. They, they were just sitting outside. They came by, stole the shoes. And then a few days after that, the shoes were back where she'd left them, except now they'd been washed. They'd been wa- So like the raccoons washed the shoes or what? Yeah, apparently he said this is a real thing. Like there's this whole uh, YouTube world of raccoon food washing videos where the critters just kind of like <laughs> dunk their food in water and then rinse it out before they eat it. No, but this is not real. <laughs> it is. But here's the thing. So raccoons aren't doing all that washing because they really like clean food or they're super like sanitary. It's because when they dunk their food, that's a way they learn more about it. They've got these uh, hairless front paws that are extremely sensitive to touch. And according to National Geographic, raccoons have four to five times more sensory cells in their paws compared to most mammals. And 75% of the part of their brain that processes like sensory signals is actually devoted solely to that sense of touch. And that means they can like determine the weight, size, texture, temperature, whatever with their paws, like just when it comes into touch with something. That's awesome. But how does dunking food in water help with this? Yeah, so that's the strangest part. Water, it's like a superpower. It increases their sense of touch in the same way like sunlight might for our sense of sight. Like, you know, when you wake up in a dark room and step outside for the first time, like suddenly you can see everything. And when a raccoon dunks a grape or a pair of shoes or a smartphone, as they like to do on YouTube, into water, it stimulates the nerve endings in their paws. And as a result, it opens up this whole new world to them. And uh, it's called dousing. That's what it's called when they uh, dip stuff in water. But uh, it's actually developed as a way to help them locate food when fishing in cold water streams. And while this is a super useful trick to have, it's also, uh, you know, made them super adorable eaters on YouTubes and YouTube celebrities. But uh, that's just the first of nine facts we've got about raccoons today. Let's dive in. 
Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Hatikater. And on the other side of the soundproof glass, wearing a Welcome to Pawnee shirt. That just made me smile to see this, and it's got a big <laughs> picture of a raccoon on it. Now, that's it's an impressive Parks and Rec reference from our good friend and producer, Tristan McNeil. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to see any Eagleton shirts with trash pandas on them, but, uh, <laughs> you know, Will, how do you feel about raccoons? Like, are you skeeved out by them? Do you think they're cute? What's your stance? Well, you know, when I was a kid, I actually really liked raccoons because I would go over to my grandmother's house. Actually, we've had Mamaw on the show before uh-huh. talking about how <laughs> to live a healthy life at the age of 91. But anyway, I'd go over to her house and there was a raccoon that we nicknamed Bandit. And we would feed Bandit marshmallows. This is probably a terrible idea and probably <laughs> not good for them. But we would put marshmallows out on a plate on the back porch and Bandit would come up and eat them and we just we just watch. But then one time I tried to walk out there while Bandit was eating the marshmallows and the scary face that it made at me and the noise, like any, I can't even like recreate the noise, was pretty <laughs> terrifying. So now, to be honest, I'm a little bit scared of raccoons. Uh, yeah, I'm a little, like, I, I feel the same way. I actually, like, my first stuffed animal was a, a raccoon. So, like, I used to carry that around with me everywhere. I had fondness for raccoons, but then, uh, once I learned a little bit more about them, I, I've sort of maintained a healthy distance from them. But I, think I that's am smart. curious, well, what's your first fact going to be? Well, how about the fact that Toronto is the self-proclaimed raccoon capital of the world? Now, I was in Toronto not too long ago. I had no idea about this. I don't know how <laughs> I missed this fact. Well, I am intrigued. Go on. <laughs> All right. Well, for years now, the city's been grappling with a raccoon population boom unlike any scene before. Now, according to the Toronto Star, the raccoon takeover began back in 2002. And this is when the city rolled out its organics bin program. And that's where they separate compostable waste into, you know, these separate green bins. And as you'd imagine, local raccoons were huge fans of this program because it required <laughs> residents to basically put all of these choice, edible garbage items into one easily tippable bin. Uh-huh. And so pretty soon, raccoons were coming out of the woodwork and making new homes for themselves in these neighborhoods and in people's backyards and just kind of throughout the city. And this happened so much so that last year, the city estimated there are now more than 100,000 raccoons living in Toronto. Oh, I love that. And that is crazy. (laughs) It is. Well, the infestation has become such a problem that in 2016, the city spent about $24 million on this special new waste bin type that they were putting everywhere. And it was specifically designed to keep out the scavenging critters. Now, to open one, you have to turn a handle on the lid and unhinge this gravity lock. And since raccoons don't have thumbs, the city hoped that raccoons wouldn't be able to work the handle. But as we know from science experiments on the subject, there are few locks on Earth that can't keep out a hungry raccoon. <laughs> and so this proved to be the case last year when multiple videos were released showing these determined raccoons opening the bin's lids and claiming all the garbage goodies inside <laughs> there. But now, to be fair, out of nearly half a million bins, only a couple dozen raccoon break-ins have been reported, and the bin manufacturer does claim the break-ins are the result of faulty handles rather than the animals actually mastering this lock system. But it doesn't seem like Toronto will be giving up its title anytime soon. <laughs> so on that subject, here's a fact that might not surprise you. Raccoons are excellent problem solvers. But <laughs> the question is, how smart are raccoons exactly? And researchers have been trying to figure this out for well over a century at this point. But the conclusion is unanimous. 
if there's food involved, raccoons are very smart. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> well, one of the earliest and most famous studies of raccoon intelligence was carried out in the early 1900s by this animal behavior scientist named H.B. Davis. And he rounded up a, a dozen wild raccoons and then presented them with a series of puzzle boxes each of which was baited with a piece of food and, and outfitted with a different kind of lock. And so the task was for the raccoons to figure out how to pick the lock, open the box, retrieve the snack. And while that, you know, might sound hard, Davis actually made the task even tougher. So the raccoons had to contend with a variety of lock types, including hooks, bolts, buttons, latches, and levers, I guess. And mm -hmm. some boxes even had multiple locks, like two buttons or a push bar and a lift latch. And so it gets pretty complicated. But despite Davis throwing everything he could at them, in the end, the raccoons could, I guess, open 11 of the 13 different complicated lock types that wow. they were given. And Impressive. most of the animals uh, mastered few of them in, in fewer than 10 tries. So Davis suspended the experiments for a few years, and then he returned to the task. And he found that the raccoons immediately remembered how to operate the different locks. <laughs> like, he started testing this, he repeated the experiment several more times, and he, he realized at the end of this that once they solve a problem they can remember exactly what that combination is for like three years or more. That is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I know we talked about raccoons love for washing things, especially Gabe's girlfriend's shoes. <laughs> I mean, that seems like a great trick, right? Like you just leave all your laundry out and hope the raccoon laundry service returns it pressed and folded, right? <laughs> I don't know about the pressed and folded part, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's impressive either way. But that's the interesting thing is that the raccoons are actually named for their little hands. So the word raccoon was derived from the Powhatan tribe's name, Aronkan, which means the animal that scratches with its hands. And I'm certain that I mispronounced that, but I did find that fact interesting. And it you was one hands, of the first, right? <laughs> I said hands. Thank you. I know how to say hands now, but it was one of the first Powhatan words ever recorded by English colonists at Jamestown, but they weren't the only ones to notice a raccoon's paws as it's you know, really its defining feature. The Aztec name for raccoons was actually a word that means the one who takes everything in its hands. So weirdly, the raccoon's scientific name also takes its cues from the animal's dexterous paws. It's called the Prysion lodar, which is a, a Neo-Latin word, and it translates to the before dog washer. <laughs> I guess because raccoons came around before dogs. But, yes. Uh, <laughs> it is funny that like everyone zoned in on that uh, hands feature, or the pause feature, right? Like, yeah. like I, I feel like I'd, I'd look at their uh, cute masks or whatever, or their, yeah. their fuzzy tails. So I'm going to take this back to Calvin Coolidge, who, as you might remember, had a pet raccoon when he was president in the 1920s. And that's a fact I feel like we've all heard and remembered, but I never knew how it came to be. And Gabe pulled this up for me. So the, the first thing to know is that Calvin and his wife, Grace Coolidge, were about the biggest animal lovers ever to live in the White House, right? And the whole country knew it. So the couple had like this menagerie of animals on the grounds, including like a goose, a donkey, a wallaby of all things. <laughs> and they had this collection of pets that the press called the Pennsylvania Avenue Zoo. And Coolidge supporters were so eager to like add to this presidential zoo that they would just routinely send him these unsolicited pets. So like he got cats, dogs, and canaries, which are pretty standard things. And then history.com says he received a black-haired bear from Mexico, an African pygmy hippopotamus from a rubber magnate, and even a pair of live lion cubs, which the fiscally conservative president gave the less-than-fuzzy names Tax Reduction and Budget Bureau. <laughs> <laughs> 
And of course, the raccoon was also a gift from this admirer, this woman from Mississippi named Vinnie Joyce. Except that Vinnie hadn't sent the raccoon to be a pet. She actually intended the animal to be slaughtered and served as an entree at that year's Thanksgiving. (laughs) But I, I guess at the time, raccoon meat was something of a delicacy. And in fact, the first edition of Joy of Cooking has a recipe for raccoon. But um, So weird. I know. Thankfully for the raccoon, though, President Coolidge did not share the country's taste for raccoon and decided to grant the masked animal this pardon, and he kept <laughs> it as a pet instead. They named it Rebecca, and it's pretty funny. Like uh, They tried to keep her in the house. She claws the upholstery. She tears apart clothing. She just generally runs amok. But then the Coolidges decided to build her this wooden treehouse outside on the South Lawn, and they were just obsessed with her. They'd walk her around on a collar and leash. <laughs> the collar said Rebecca Raccoon of the White House on it. Uh, nice. She even participated in the Easter egg roll, though apparently that was kind of the last straw because she um, clawed at children and, and then kept running away from the White House. So like the staffers had to keep chasing her down. But they decided to donate her to the National Zoo where she lived happily and was heralded as the first raccoon of the White House. What a great story. All right, well, why don't we talk a little bit about raccoon mask? As you were saying, that that probably would have been the defining feature that I would have thought about if I was trying to give this creature a name. And, you know, raccoons have always been viewed as bandits in popular culture, and that's partly for good reason. Like, they make off with whatever they can get their weird little hands on. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, those little black masks they wear aren't helping matters since it just makes them look like these little furry outlaws. They may be cute, but they definitely look <laughs> like outlaws. Yeah, it, it's like in that book, uh, Secret Pizza Party, which oh, is, yeah. yeah, from the guys who made Dragons Love Tacos. But, uh, you know, I I love that book so much, just how that raccoon, like, dreams of stealing pizza mm-hmm. and, and, like, has all these ideas. And, and you know, he finally does it because he, uh, he, he, he tricks people by thinking he has a mask on. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, they don't wear the eye mask to be stealthy or stylish. But, you know, these markings actually help the raccoons and it helps them to see more clearly. So according to researchers, the black fur kind of functions like, you know, like you would put grease paint or like black stickers that athletes wear under their eyes during games. So that dark color absorbs incoming light so that the glare doesn't interfere with their vision. And raccoons use this trick to see better in the dark, actually. So their mask cut down on the peripheral light that might be out there in the dark, and it makes it easier for them to perceive contrast and and tell different objects apart from each other. I'd, I'd actually never heard this before. Yeah, that's really fascinating. So here's a bit of a surprising research I found. So uh, according to Suzanne McDonald, who is this uh, psychology professor and biologist at York University near Toronto, the raccoon capital of the world, I guess, <laughs> uh, city raccoons tend to be smarter than their country cousins. And in 2014, she outfitted city raccoons with GPS collars to see how they handled themselves compared to country raccoons. And in one experiment, she discovered that the city dwellers had learned to avoid major intersections altogether. (laughs) And in another test, she found that uh, most city raccoons were capable of opening trash can lids while the country raccoons would, like, they never quite figured it out. In fact, they'd uh, smell food at the bottom and just, like, kind of paw at it, but they never understood how the lid system worked at all. And, uh, you know, it's it's funny because, like... um, she, She was comparing the two. The city raccoons just went for the lid every single time, but... You know, I, I think it's an interesting test. I, I do hope it doesn't lead to, like, stereotyping of country raccoons because I'm sure there are some <laughs> smart country raccoons out there and, and they have other talents that they're way better at. But, uh, but it, right. it is a fun study. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
That's pretty funny. Well, I know we've got two more facts to go, but before we get to those, let's take a quick break. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius, where we're talking raccoons. All right, Mango, what is your last fact going to be? How about we talk about Japan, which has been dealing with an out-of-control raccoon population for about 40 years now. So Toronto isn't the only cosmopolitan place with this issue. 
And surprisingly, Japan's whole mess can be traced back to this beloved children's cartoon. Really? A cartoon? Yeah, in, in uh, 1977, this animation company released an anime adaptation of this memoir called Rascal, a memoir of a better era. And both the book and the animated series are about this author, Sterling North, and this baby raccoon named Rascal that he kept for a year as a boy. And the anime cartoon series, it premiered in January of that year in 1977, and then ran a new episode each week for the entire year. And pretty much the whole country was swept up in raccoon fever. So families began importing uh, these pet raccoons from North America so their kids could reenact what they'd seen on screen. And the trend became so popular that for years after the cartoon's release, more than 1,500 raccoons were brought to Japanese shores each month. Isn't oh, that wow. Insane? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and as you can probably guess, things got out of hand pretty quickly. So uh, Japanese families soon discovered that real raccoons aren't as loyal or cuddly as you might see on TV. Uh, the real-life versions might trash your house, attack your kids, and and also eat way, way more than you'd think. So uh, they aren't great roommates. But when uh, when the pet raccoons grew too large or unruly, many families just released them into the wild. And eventually the Japanese government got wise they banned the import and ownership of raccoons, but it was already far too late. And today, the descendants of that first wave of raccoons have spread to 42 of the country's 47 prefectures, and they're believed to cause about $300,000 worth of damage to food crops every year. Oh, wow. So so what about the cartoon? Like, did it kind of fade into obscurity after, you know, people lost their love for these raccoons or what? No, Rascal Raccoon is actually still an icon there, and he's this merchandising powerhouse in Japan. And of course, the original series is still considered a classic. And, you know, you you get that, right? Like, as awful as they are, cartoon raccoons are still pretty cute. So Definitely. <laughs> so what, what are you going to end with? All right. Well, how about a little fact about marshmallows? You know, I shared the fact at the beginning there. So last uh -huh. year, a team of scientists put eight raccoons through what is known as the Aesop's Fable Test to see whether they could recognize cause and effect. So you might be familiar with the fable in question, and it's the one where a thirsty crow can't access the water at the bottom of a pitcher, so the bird cleverly drops pebbles into the pitcher until the water level rises enough for the crow to be able to take a drink. I vaguely remember that. I don't know what the moral of that story is, but <laughs> yeah. I, I do remember that. So how does it relate to the test? We're not going to get into the morals of this today. It's, <laughs> it's just way too deep for us. But anyway, well, for the raccoon version, researchers knew that the water alone wouldn't be a big enough draw. So they added marshmallows to the mix. Now, the raccoons were placed in a room with a cylinder of water with marshmallows floating on the surface and then stones scattered all around it. Now, the catch, of course, was that the water level was so low that the raccoons couldn't get to the marshmallows. They'd actually have to displace the water with the stones in order to be able to reach those marshmallows. So the researchers demonstrated this move for the raccoon audience, and then they waited to see if they would repeat this behavior themselves. Now, in the end, two of the eight raccoons successfully repeated the trick and claimed these marshmallows, while the third raccoon decided to go her own way. So she climbed on top of the cylinder, rocked it back and forth until the whole thing tipped over, <laughs> allowing her to claim the marshmallow prize without lifting a single stone. Anyway, given enough time, they all seemed to somehow get to the marshmallows. Yeah, of course they do. I mean, they always get the marshmallows. But, you know, I like that fact. I like that you brought sticky treats into the that you've got <laughs> raccoon ingenuity just highlighted there, and of course, Aesop, the trifecta. So I think I've got to give it to you this week. 
Oh, thanks so much. And if any of you out there have great facts or stories about raccoons and Mamaw, if you happen to be listening, Mango, I don't know if you've heard Mamaw pitch the podcast, but she tells people to listen and she says, it's like the radio on your phone. And so it's a, <laughs> it it's a good pitch. But if you've got great facts or great stories, we always love to hear those from you. Hit us up on the socials, but from Gabe, Tristan, Mango, and me, thanks so much for listening. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.